I want to show my kids that I love my body and that my body is an instrument. It's not this thing that I need to present in any sort of way. It's something that I need to take care of because this is the only body that I get in this life. Motherhood is beautiful yet challenging. You may be feeling lost in motherhood, but I'm here to tell you that no matter what season of motherhood you find yourself in, every mom has a unique journey that is worth experiencing. So if you are a mom feeling overwhelmed, are struggling with mom guilt, want to be more confident, and are looking for ways to find you again, know that you are not alone. Every mom will come away with connection, knowledge, and tangible tools to integrate into her own motherhood experience. You deserve to be confident in motherhood with all of your experiences that make you who you are. So let's get started on being real, vulnerable, and step into community with each other. This is Experience Motherhood. Hi, and welcome to Experience Motherhood podcast. On today's episode, I got the chance to sit down with Sammy Gollop, a registered dietitian from Madison, Wisconsin. Sammy provides information all about respecting your body and getting rid of the scale. And I know for so many of us, women particularly, and moms, that we have all struggled with our body images and body weight at some point. The fact of the matter is, is that we live in a culture that highly values a certain body size, and unfortunately, the majority of us do not fit that body size. Sammy shares with us wonderful knowledge in how to be nutritionally fueling our bodies, modeling for our kids, and even tackles some of those picky eater questions that I know that my kids struggle with. So let's get into our conversation today, and I hope you get out of it as much as I did. Sammy, welcome to Experience Motherhood. It is so good to have you on the show. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks, Liz. So I am Samantha Gollop. I am a registered dietitian and I am the face, the persona behind anti-diet mama. I don't know if you can even say that with Instagram, a persona behind the, uh, I don't know, our tag or whatever. (laughs) Um, So I have been a registered dietitian for almost 10 years now. We're getting there. Um, and I started anti-diet mama back in 2020 when like everybody wanted to go out on their own and do things virtually. Um, I had been working in a hospital for seven years before I quit this past December. But when I started anti-diet mama, it was just kind of a little side gig that I wanted to do to pursue my, more of my passion behind my work. Um, I was working in a weight management clinic and every time that I would see a patient, there was a common theme that they had dieted on and off for many, many, many years and were just so disembodied. They weren't, you know, they weren't aware of their body signals. They had really strained relationships with food. And I found that through all of the group teaching that I did, in the clinic that I really loved teaching groups and loved teaching people how to get back to a point where they were feeding themselves regularly, that they had a better relationship with food and that they could really listen to and respond to their body signals and trust their bodies. 
So I had my baby, my first baby in 2019 and decided that what I really wanted to do was help moms to have a better relationship with food, a better relationship with their bodies, um, because I didn't want them to get to this point necessarily that they had to think about bariatric surgery or weight loss surgery. Um, I wanted to kind of catch them before that. And I think that working with moms with new kids, with, with fresh little babies and teaching moms how to respect their bodies so that they could teach their babies how to respect their bodies would be a really good place to just kind of start this education. Um, because we don't learn how to feed our kids when we're little, right? We don't learn how to listen to our bodies. We don't learn any of that. And all of that is so innate for our kids, but we like kind of ruin it somewhere along the way um, because of the patterns that we've been taught by, you know, our parents or grandparents that have dieted or had really strained relationships with food um, or a history of food insecurity and things like that. So I really wanted to build my business based off of that. I really just wanted to help moms to break the generational cycle of dieting and body hatred so that we could raise a generation that is already so resilient towards diet culture. Um, so that's what I've been working on. And that's kind of who I am. I'm mom of two. I've got a dog. I've got chickens. My husband travels for work. So I'm solo parenting a lot. Um, I love to move my body. I love to do yoga um, and travel. And that's, that's kind of me in a nutshell. <laughs> that's an amazing mission. I, I totally hear you. I think there's such a cultural shift, even as when we were kids, right. That, you know, food was just, you were, you were told that you have to eat this or you can't leave the table and it is just what it is. And, and then, you know, culturally women in particular really have continue to struggle with body image typically more than men, you know, of, especially after you have a baby, right? You're just, oh, you're supposed to look a certain way. Or, you know, if you do look a certain way, you get comments in that direction too, of like, oh, wow, you lost it so quick. Or, oh, you, you still look pregnant. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different shifts from back then to now, but I think when it comes to nutrition, that's something that I don't know a lot about. Where's the lack of information you think is, does it start more around like basic nutrition as you get older? Is it really about that dieting culture of you just have to look that, you know, Barbie style, which isn't even real or yeah, I'm just curious in your expertise, kind of where does that come from? Yeah, this, this is a hard question to answer. Cause I think it's. I mean, from so many different angles, you know, we get all of this nutrition information or like misinformation from a social media. We get ideas about what we should and should not be eating from diet culture. We have like developed to look at food as either this way that we lose weight or gain weight, right? Like it's been so demonized and so boiled down to like we eat because of how our bodies look like or how we want our bodies to look. And we're not eating to actually like fuel living and feel good and have those emotional experiences tied to food. Um, we don't know how to balance our blood sugars. We're just like always so 
um, like eat less and less and less. We think about calories in versus calories out. And if we eat less and less, we'll look smaller and smaller. And that body type is so put on a pedestal in our society that if we're not looking like that, we feel less than we're treated less than, you know, if you are in a bigger body, you are a lesser human, you know, you're, you're told to lose weight or else, um, you don't get power, you don't get jobs, you don't uh, get a seat on the plane. You know, there's so many ways that bodies that are bigger have been demonized in our culture. Um, and it is, you're right. It's really women that get the like short end of the stick with this. Us as women have always, you know, I, I I don't really know where this all stems from, but it's just like a patriarchal theme, right? Like if men are ruling, we are told we need to look a certain way to be pleasing to other people's eyes. Where we got these ideas of nutrition and what our bodies should look like, it, it's coming from so many angles and it's it's really hard to be able to weed through all of this, right? Like nutrition has been this like super complicated thing and it's become like eat this and not that. And this is toxic and this is inflammatory. And really like if we just trusted our bodies and started to listen to our bodies and eat foods for balance and eating enough, we would be just fine. Like all this other nutrition noise is not suiting anyone and not helping us make better decisions about our food. In fact, it's creating disordered eating and really, again, this negative relationship with food. Yeah. I mean, being in your body, that's such an interesting um, idea. I don't typically always think about you know, nutrition in that way, but even coming from a mental health angle, you know, that is something that we know is connected to so many things. It's, you know, a human being is holistic. There's physical, there's mental health, emotional, spiritual, all of the things, right. Intellectual. And I, I'm curious too, you know, I think for me, when I think back about nutrition, like you're right, it's really confusing and it's hard to know mm-hmm. like, oh, is it okay to have those Oreos or am I like ruining my children because it has all the dyes in it and all the things or, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that there's a lot of pressure then too for ourselves of like, oh, I want to be doing all these healthy things. I want organic and to fuel my body, but at the same time, that pressure of to look a certain way. And so you're right. It's really complicated. And I know I really struggle with more of the nutritional piece of, you know, I, I try to teach my kids to eat, you know, a vegetable and a fruit at every meal. Like we're really consistent with that. You know, we get a little, I get a little rote sometimes of what I'm offering because it's just hard to come up with new things all the time. But if I'm teaching that for my kids, I often will notice for myself that I'm not doing those same things. I'm not eating enough fruit in the day or vegetables or, you know, I just kind of get by and I'm so hyper-focused on my kids. It's like, I forget about my own nutritional needs, right? Yes. Yeah, totally. I see that all the time. You know, women, we like always put our kids first. We put other people first. I work with a lot of people in healthcare or therapists or, you know, we're like the helpers, right? So we've always been told or we've learned to put other people first. And then it 
comes to the end of the day, we finally put the kids down and we're like, whoa, I'm hungry, right? Because we haven't been feeding ourselves all day. We're not feeding ourselves adequately. Um, We're just worried about what we're feeding other people and we're not nourishing ourselves. So that's where I really start with a lot of my clients. You know, maybe it's because we've dieted and learned to not eat enough to, to restrict, or we're taking care of all these other people and not listening to our bodies. So there's, there are a lot of disruptors to us being able to listen to our bodies, diet culture, and um, taking care of other people, not putting self-care first um, and, and taking care of our mental needs and our, our health needs, our physical needs, all of those things are so important in what we look at from a holistic standpoint with my clients, because if you are coming from a place of being fueled and feeding your body and being adequately nourished, you're going to be so much better at taking care of your kids and being able to drown out the noise and taking care of other people because you're not irritable. You're not hangry. You have energy. You know, there, there's so many things that being underfueled can present as. And a lot of times we just think we're like these crabby curmudgeons, you know, running around all day, but really we're just hangry. We need food. We need to eat. Otherwise we're in this like constant fight or flight mode. Yes. I know my husband, if he listens to this episode, it's going to be like, yep, that is me for sure. I get so (laughs) hangry and we joke about it all the time. And it's something I've really learned about myself that, yeah, my gosh, I'm starting to get really upset or a lot shorter with my kids. You know, what, what have I eaten today? And then I think, oh my gosh, I've only had a little breakfast. Like, of course. Right. And I think too, you know, when I, when you're talking about that nutritional piece and just the physical symptoms that can come, like being hangry or irritable. I mean, my goodness, I keep thinking like, oh, we know for you know those that struggle with anxiety, sometimes that affects your bowel and then all of these things. And I'm curious for a nutritional standpoint, are there certain foods or groups of food that you kind of look to as kind of the first maybe culprits to if you were going to rule out if it's really a nutritional deficiency or if it's maybe then linked to something else? Yes. Yeah. Well, and and it, it sounds like you're pretty well aware that we have this really like really powerful connection with our brain and our gut. You know, when we're feeling stressed, we can feel that in our belly. Um, and sometimes it can present as like diarrhea or gas or cramping or just indigestion, but really we're feeling like lots and lots and lots of stress. Um, and we don't know how to either take care of the stress or manage the stress or cope with it or the anxiety. And that presents in your gut in those negative ways. So, right. We're looking for all of these things to like cut out or to not eat or to avoid when really that's probably like perpetuating the stress and I'm not saying that sometimes this could be, you know, some sort of sensitivity to food, but I think a lot of times it's, we have to manage the stress and, and find coping strategies. So we are eating regularly. We are eating balanced and managing our stress or anxiety in a way that can help make sure that our guts aren't as impacted because that's just a really vicious cycle, right? So 
I think about eating more regularly throughout the day to balance our blood sugars that can keep you from getting too irregular and too irritable and making sure each time you eat, you're eating to a point where you feel satisfied and you're, you're building fullness so that you have enough energy for the next few hours. So we really want to ride that wave of our blood sugars and our our hormone levels, our insulin. So I always tell my clients, you know, we want to try to eat every few hours throughout the day, every two to four hours. And every time that you eat, we want to try to have some sort of protein, some sort of fat and some sort of fiber or carbohydrate. And that balance every few hours can help keep you satisfied. We can avoid those really low lows and those really high highs of the blood sugars and just feeling out of balance with your mood. And when we have those like baseline needs met of having a nourished body, we're not in that fight or flight mode for that reason. And we're more able to listen to our brains and like be calm about what we're doing, be productive, have our head on straight with what we need to get done throughout the day. So using food as really like this kind of baseline self-care, this most basic form of self-care can help us to avoid all of this like irritability and stress and and all of these things that come along with just like being a mom and having a job and doing all of these things that we need to do in the day. And it can also help us avoid a lot of these other digestion issues that might come up. Again, there, there could be so many reasons for digestive issues, but when we're talking about like irritability and, and IBS, a lot of times that does stem from some sort of, you know, not, not eating enough. Yeah. That's so interesting. So to recap, I'm hearing you say the best like starting place, I guess, if you're like, I know my nutritional intake isn't the best. I'm busy. Of course I've got lots on my plate, but first just starting to eat regularly, like the two to four hour mark, and then really focusing on like protein and fiber and carbohydrates and like amounts that are satisfying to you. So not like, you know, not going into the, I'm starving. Let me just eat until I feel sick, but also not just, you know, pigeon eating and not really ever being full. Right. Yes. Yes. Pigeon eating. Yes. I call that grazing. So if you're like kind of grazing on food all day long, you're maintaining higher blood sugars and insulin levels. So that's going to store food away. Um, you're not using it in this nice like wave. So just to kind of give you like a little blood sugar 101, nutrition 101, our blood sugars, if we're eating every three to four hours, we have like a nice balanced wave and the food needs to be balanced too with the protein, fat, and carbohydrates. We get a nice like two to three hour wave in our blood sugars where we're kind of at baseline. It goes up. Our um, insulin levels go up to help us utilize that food as energy in our bodies and our cells. And then it comes back down to baseline over the course of about two hours. That can help us feel full and satisfied for a period of time. And then have these signals of hunger again, once we kind of come back down to that baseline. 
our bodies work really hard to keep our blood sugars in this kind of nice range. So if we're not eating and it's getting too low, our body's working off of reserves that makes us kind of just like power through into like this fight or flight Mm -hmm. to like, I need food right now. And that's why we're really irritable and it's hard to focus. If we're grazing or overeating, which tends to happen if like food's not available, it's not prepped, we're hungry and we're really mindlessly eating, we could spike our blood sugars and keep them high and elevated if we're eating for a prolonged period of time or that grazing habit. And that's when food or energy in our body is going to be stored away as fat, which a lot of us want to avoid. But when we're like in this restriction and binge cycle, we're like really just spiking our blood sugars all over the place. We're never feeling quite satisfied. We're always driven towards the carbohydrates and the fat to keep us satisfied and get our blood sugars up. And then we're just like always crabby. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's so like defeating, right? Like if we're in that cycle, because we can't, then we're looking at ourselves and be like, why am I not losing that weight? Why am I so, you know, thin or whatever it is, whatever the physical appearance is that we're not pleased with. And of course there's always going to be deeper issues of, you know, tied to that body respect, right. Of how do we learn to actually value ourselves as a person and not based on physical appearance, Mm -hmm. which is tough. And I think really hard for many women, particularly moms, right. And and after postpartum, your body has changed. It's gone through so much and, you know, we can all agree that it's a miracle of life and all of that, but it is really hard to be like, I don't look the same anymore and I don't Mm -hmm. feel the same and things are different. And I know for you, uh, something I've loved about following you on Instagram is you have this concept or this, this like mission, I guess, to get across to moms that get rid of the scale. Like it's not helping you. And it's just, it's not about the weight. And somehow our culture is so wrapped up in a number Mm -hmm. when there's so many other factors. Right. Yeah. The scale is like such a toxic thing. And it's so hard because there are so many people that reinforce it, you know, doctors reinforce it and your nurses and your healthcare systems, like all all of that and, and diet culture too. You know, we see lost 50 pounds or if you're not losing weight, you're gaining weight and it's bad. And really our bodies are just striving for stability and to stay the same. And we actually know that that's healthier to stay around the same weight than to just like be losing weight and gaining weight and losing weight and gaining weight. And when we're doing these really restrictive things in order to try to lose weight, our bodies are actually going to like rebel against that and cause us to gain more weight than we lost in the first place or from where we started. And, you know, I think the scale in general is just, it is so defeating. That's a really good word for it because we get on it and we feel bad about it or we get on it and it was great. And then we eat the things that we weren't eating. And, you know, it, it just like gives us a reason to eat or to not eat or to work out more or less or, or whatever, you know, it it just, it's never letting us to letting us listen to our bodies. It's never letting us, 
you know, really be present with ourselves and feel good. It's, it just never feels good to step on the scale. So that's one of the first things that I will tell my clients and anyone to just like, stop weighing yourself. If you don't weigh yourself, if you don't know the number, you're just going to be going off of how your body feels and be able to be more in your body. The weight doesn't really matter. You know, our, our proportion of muscle and fat and how our body's made up in that way is more important and how we feed our body and move our body is the most important. So, you know, I think it's, the scale can tell us one, maybe little piece of information, but is it really that helpful? No, it's not. Yeah. Thank you for just saying that. Cause I think we all need to just be reminded that it really doesn't matter. You know, and I think too, you're a registered dietitian and a mom. I'm kind of curious, you know, how do you model that respectful body image given all of the information you have and knowledge of what is healthy and what's not? How do you model kind of that respective body image for your own kids? Yeah. Oh, this started like before I tried to get pregnant with my first, um, because I was absolutely not happy with my body. And even though it was like probably the like, quote unquote, best it's ever been or the lightest it's ever been or whatever you want to say, I was working out like twice a day. I was doing like meal plan challenges. I did detoxes. I did like all of these things because I was following all of the wrong people on the social media and just really wanted to look a certain way and weigh a certain amount. And I I don't even really know like how I got to this place where I was just like, you know what? When I have a kid, I don't want her or him to ever feel this negative about their body. I just kind of snapped out of it one day and I was like, I'm not going to have time to work out twice a day. I'm not going to have the energy to follow these meal plans and these these like special restrictions and all of that. I want to show my kids that I love my body and that my body is an instrument. It's not this thing that I need to present in any sort of way. It's something that I need to take care of because this is the only body that I get in this life. And so I decided to start keeping a gratitude journal for my body. So I would write down every night, like things that I appreciated about my body. I stopped weighing myself. I got rid of my scale. I put it away. I stopped following all of the influencers and people that were showing like their abs and the swimsuits and the workouts that they did and the food that they ate in a day. I made sure to unfollow anybody that like made me feel less than or like I could be doing more or should be looking a certain way. Because in the back of my mind, I know that that's not what my body's ever going to look like, especially after having kids. So I did all of those things. I made sure to really catch myself in any um, clothes that didn't feel good. If I was like doing a lot of body checking in the mirror, like poking at my stomach or pinching my fat or things like that and made sure that I wasn't doing that because if your kids see you doing that, they're going to do it too. They're going to wonder if their tummy is fat or if they 
you know, need to lose weight or whatever. Like they really will absorb that messaging that you're showing yourself. So I'm really careful about that in front of my kids. I don't ask, you know, oh, do I look good in this? Or I like don't use the word fat in that way. I really want to destigmatize that word as well. We have a lot of books that show body diversity and talk about it too, but also are sure to talk about, you know, we don't talk about other people's bodies in a negative way or even in a positive way, because like, we don't really know. They just are all different bodies and have different abilities. I do tell my kids when I exercise because I like to exercise because it makes me feel strong and it helps like give mommy a break. I like to eat certain foods because they give me energy. You know, we, d- we don't talk that much about foods and like what's healthy or unhealthy. I actually try to avoid those dichotomous terms because if they're eating unhealthy foods, does that make them unhealthy? No, we want to be able to enjoy all foods and what I present to them is giving them moderation. I model what, you know, what moderation looks like, what, you know, fullness feels like to me. I'll also say like, oh, I feel really hungry. It's time for me to have a snack. Would you like to sit down with me to have a snack as well? I'm starting to feel full. I can put the rest of this away for later. So I'm really verbal about why I'm doing things with my body, how I appreciate my body. Whenever I lift up both of my kids, I'm like, oh, I'm so strong. It feels so good to be able to carry you guys across the street to go to daycare, or I love hugging you. Like, I love that my body can lift you up and give you hugs. So just being more verbal about it and saying those things out loud can be really helpful and have your kids understand that it's not all about how you look. It's more about what you can do and your abilities and appreciate the things that your body does do for you. I absolutely love that you talked about being more verbal because that's something when I work with kids in my therapy practice, you know, I'm not necessarily working on nutritional things that's outside of my scope, but we are working on mental health things. And a lot of it is helping kids and adults learn what it's like to feel in your body. Right. And so you are being a great model to those kids of, you know, we assume as adults, a lot of times that they'll just know, but they don't know if they're full. They don't know if they're hungry. Sometimes they just you know, get hangry, yes. like we were talking about earlier, right? Or irritable. And I love that you're just using words to describe what you're feeling in your body in hopes that they'll start and tuning in as well. And I know for me, when I'm working with my kids, I have several different picky eaters and they're all picky in different ways. And it's something we really struggle with. But I also am really trying to reshape that cultural shift of, you know, when we were kids, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I remember being at the table and, you know, we were forced to try everything. We had to finish our plates and you had to do it even if you weren't hungry. And, you know, that's not a diss to my parents. That was just how they were brought up. So that was, you know, the patterns that we passed down. And I think our generation in particular has really done a 180 with a lot of generational patterns. And we're like, whoa, we got to change this. And one of the big things is coming into your body more, right? And helping kids recognize, you know, toddlers are the weirdest eaters ever because sometimes they are starving. And my four-year-old, he'll snack literally all day sometimes. And then other days he's barely eaten anything and really trying to model like, oh, your body's not hungry today, you know, rather than 
oh, you need to go eat something or you, you have to finish your plate or, you know, not, how would I know I'm not in his body, right? Like he needs to figure that out. So I love that you brought that up. Cause I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you're saying all the right things here too, because it's so hard to, I mean, we can't know what is what's going on in our kids' bodies, but we like think we know best because we have been told by diet culture to like eat this, not that this is healthy. This is unhealthy. When really like we're starting to take over our kids' jobs as and and teach them body mistrust. So when we're telling them to eat everything on their plate, we're telling them to ignore their fullness. When we're telling them to eat, even though they're not hungry, we're telling them we know that when you're hungry and you should be eating at this time, right? So I talk a lot about the division of responsibility when it comes to children and them listening to their bodies, because what we're responsible as parents to do is to feed them, present them with food in a structured way. You decide the meal times and the snack times. You provide balance with their nutrition every two to four hours. So it's just like us. We need to be fueling as often as they are. And we model what appropriate behavior looks like at the table and give them the opportunity to have adequate nutrition every few hours. They get to decide whether or not they eat at that time and how much of which foods they eat for the most part, right? Like if we are running out of berries and we need to save them the next day, like we can say, no, that's all we have for today. Um, or, you know, we can get their input, but you know, when we're talking about picky eating, if we are forcing our kids to eat the vegetables, if we're forcing our kids or adding a lot of pressure with how to sit at the table with us, those things are going to cause them to do the opposite, right? If we're forcing them to stay at the table, they're going to be really uncomfortable at the table and they're going to get up and run around. If we are forcing them to eat the vegetables, they're going to innately not want the vegetables, right? We're going to do the exact opposite. If we're forcing them to clean everything on their plate, they're not listening to their bodies. So we want to really give them the space and take the pressure off and you will see them self-regulate. You know, you need to trust that they can trust themselves and just provide them with the structure and the balance and they can do the rest. There is some language that we can use in there too, to like help them know when the next meal is coming and, oh, you didn't want that, but now you're hungry 10 minutes later, you can still have this. Like this is the only option. This is the next time we're eating. So you know, giving them the opportunity to trust their body is so important. Yes. And it's normal for kids to be picky, especially around this toddler age. What the term that we use is neophobia. Kids that are in this toddler age are naturally skeptical about new foods because they don't know whether or not it's poison or it's going to hurt them. So them seeing and interacting with food is really important, but also giving them space to trust themselves and to trust like their kind of innate drive to not necessarily eat certain foods because those can be scary to them. You know, if you think about like our ancestors in the Paleolithic times, you know, kids were out wandering on their own and picking berries off of trees. So if they didn't know whether or not it was safe to eat, they wouldn't eat it. 
But if they saw their parents eating it, that was a really good sign. And then they would eventually eat it. So it just, it's, it's interesting how like the way we've evolved as humans has like helped us to (laughs) survive in this world. And now that food is so available and we're learning all these rules, how much we are unevolving our bodies almost. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I'm curious too, you know, so for me, I'll share some personal stuff here. So I have a couple of kids who are very picky. I'm curious at what point do you feel like it bleeds more over into an occupational therapy issue because they just continue, you know, the food's being presented constantly trying to give space, definitely made errors in the past of like, yes, just try one bite. I mean, I have definitely done Mm -hmm. that. Um, But how, how do you know at that point, it's really something else besides just that, you know, taking their time to try things out? Yeah. Yes. So first of all, don't blame yourself for like asking them to try one bite. That is so programmed in us because of our parents and how we grew up. And I think it's still like, okay, for some families to do and and maybe helpful. You have to read your kid. Right. And sometimes I will find myself being like, Greta, just try, you know, this carrot. I know you'll like it because it's hard to waste food and you do know you'll like, they'll like it, but it's, I always will be like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. And then try to like repair and be like, you can eat whatever you want that's on your plate. But when we might want to have more vigilance around this is if your kid keeps dropping safe foods and there are less than maybe 20 foods that they'll accept. If you think it's maybe more of like a texture thing that's going on, if you know, they liked food one day and then they never ate it again, or they keep refusing it. If you know they're hungry and the things that you're presenting that were safe foods are no longer safe. But I think those are the main ones. If they, if they keep dropping safe foods or if they're really caught up in textures, those would be warning signs that it might be time to see like an occupational therapist or a dietitian that specializes in something like that because there could be something else going on. If, oh, if they have trouble like chewing or swallowing foods, if they're regurgitating foods, those would be other, another couple signs. Great. Yeah. Those are really helpful tips for anyone else that has picky eaters who maybe are past the toddler stage (laughs) like me. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, again, it's normal for even like school-aged kids to have pickiness. I would say the height of pickiness is probably around like seven to 10, somewhere in there. Um, But I think it's really apparent to us because like until kids are 12 months old, they'll like eat anything and maybe even to two, but sometimes in that like 12, 12 months to 24 months, it's like, okay, you just stopped eating. Yes. (laughs) Right. And you became really picky overnight. And I think a lot of that again has to do with now they're more mobile. They're able to, you know, bring things to their mouth. They're feeding themselves and their growth slows down quite a bit. And that's why, you know, two to four year olds, like they'll eat a ton one day and then like nothing for three days. That's also really normal because of their growth patterns and the way that they eat. Everything is just kind of irregular and that's normal. So you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, I feel you. Well, something I always love to ask guests on this podcast is what do you think has changed you most in motherhood? 
I feel like I've always been a pretty flexible person, but motherhood has made me very flexible. Like just be able to go with the flow, especially having two kids in COVID, you know, not being super disappointed if we can't follow through with plans, um, being really understanding of other people that can't stick to plans. Um, so just like being more fluid with everything has been really in my face. I also think something that maybe hasn't changed so much, um, but that I've really come to prioritize even more is just the self-care and being able to ask for help and time for myself has been so key because when before kids, I was able to take care of myself. No problem. I had all the time in the world, even though I thought I was really busy, but now just prioritizing that and making sure that I am asking for the time that I need to take care of myself, to take a break, to exercise, to shower, you know, any of those things um, has become super important and was really hard for me at one time. So yeah, I feel like I can relate on both of those, the self-care stuff and then the flexibility piece. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ugh, Ooh, you gotta be flexible yeah. or it's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Um, well, I feel like this has been such a good topic. I feel like I could talk to you for hours about so many of these things. Um, where can listeners learn more about you? And I know you have something special coming up too. I do. So I am over at anti.diet.mama, M-A-M-A. And I am pretty active there in my stories. I'm trying to be better about posting um, reels and things like that. But I am coming out with a course that is going to cover all these topics that we talked about today. My launch is going to be the first week of May, and it's going to be limited to just 30 people. The launch will include not only my six module course, which is going to cover nutrition 101, ditching diet culture, respecting your body, how to feed kids and raise intuitive eaters, but it's also going to have three free coaching calls included as well. And this is going to be the only time I'm including those for free. So I'm super excited about this. I have wanted to do a course for a long time, and now I finally have the time and the energy to put towards this. So I think it's going to be really helpful for a lot of moms. This is the stuff that I coach my clients on, but I know not everybody has the time and the finances to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with a dietitian. So I wanted to get something out there so that people didn't have to read 45 books to get all of this information. I want them to like have this resource at their fingertips and be able to go through it, absorb the things and, you know, carry on with their lives. Because I think there's so much of our brain and our energy and mental energy that goes towards our bodies and food and how to feed our kids and doing it the right way. And my goal is just really to simplify that for every mom out there so that we can free up space in our brains for all of the other things that we can do and our values and our passions and our creativity. Um, because just think about how much time we spend on all of this stuff. It's so disheartening to think about, you know, how much we've spent time-wise and money-wise and energy-wise on the dieting and our bodies and hating them. And 
I just want people to know that there's so much more out there that we can be doing with our energy. And I'm hoping that this course can instill that in you. This course sounds amazing. So if people do want to get more info about it, do you have a wait list? I do have a wait list. You can find it on my stories um, or my links in my bio. And my website is antidietmama.com. So you can sign up for my newsletter there. And my goal this week is to get a page up to get ready for the course. So yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'll make sure to link all of that too. So if it's of interest to anyone listening, you guys can find more of Sammy at one of those spots that she mentioned. Thank you again, Sammy, so much for having this conversation with us today. If you would like more content, you can follow along at Experience Motherhood, or you can follow Sammy at anti.diet.mama on Instagram. And until next time, go experience motherhood.